The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hey, everybody. We're going to get to this week's edition of the Capital Weekly Podcast in just a moment. But just a quick heads up. We recorded this conversation a few weeks ago before the governor's proposals on reforming CEQA went to the lawmakers. A lot has happened since then, and uh, we will get into that at a later date. But for now, just a heads up that this entire conversation happened before lawmakers uh, were able to see these bills and to start reacting to them. And so negatively reacting negatively to reacting yes very negatively to the governor's proposals but of course gavin newsom being who he is he's not giving up without a fight uh where we stand right at the moment uh there's a lot of budget trailer bills that uh are are he's hoping they'll consider they're not really into that right now so uh that's the context for our conversation uh with california forward ceo michael weinberg and former los angeles mayor and former assembly Speaker Antonio Villaraigosa. Please enjoy the conversation and we'll update uh, everybody on this at a later time. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am Editor in Chief Rich Eisen, joined as always by my partner in crime, Tim Foster. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm well, Rich. Thanks. Great. Well, we ha- and we have a couple special guests with us today. Uh, unless you've been hiding in a cave, you know that Governor Newsom has uh, been talking about a proposal uh, to make some pretty significant changes in how we go about infrastructure in California. And a big part of those changes, the, the recommendations that he's working on, both through executive order and legislation, are based on a report that was done uh, by California Forward and others. Uh, and to help us talk about that a little bit, we are joined today by California Forward CEO, Micah Weinberg, an old friend of ours. How are you doing today, Micah? Doing all right. Thanks. And we have a really special guest, the uh, former Assembly Speaker and the former, the 41st Mayor of the great city of Los Angeles, Antonio Villaragosa. How are you doing, Mayor? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, hey, it's our pleasure. Uh, well, as I said, let's get right into it, because this is clearly going to be a really big issue this year. We've been talking about things like sequel reform and, you know, trying to streamline permitting in this state for a very long time. It's always been a very heavy lift. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, essentially what the re- what the report says and what uh, from that that the governor has has chosen to uh, pick up and run with. Well, the governor asked uh, me to be the infrastructure advisor. Uh, and uh, I can tell you, it was an honor. Uh, one of the things he said when he asked me to do it uh, was that he wanted to uh, I know the governor for more than 20 years. Uh, we debated on occasion. Uh, so I knew what he was talking about. Uh, look. Our regulatory framework is broken. Uh, We're very proud of the fact that it's a rigorous framework, uh, but uh, broken nonetheless. Let me give you an example. You could sue on a project for a decade and more, and people have done it. Uh, The fact of the matter is, uh, if climate change is the biggest challenge facing humankind, and I believe it is, and I know the governor does as well, Uh, then 
uh, we have to treat it like an emergency. Uh, we, we ought to have the fierce urgency of now in addressing that climate change. Uh, President Biden uh, has that fierce urgency. That's why he uh, proposed this historic investment uh, in infrastructure. Uh, $1.2 trillion, um, you know, 50 to 60 billion of which uh, comes to California. Uh, and uh, the state has invested another $47 billion. So never in our history have we invested this kind, uh, this quantity of dollars, this, you know, the amount of money that we're investing in infrastructure in this period of time. And so, yes, we ought to treat it like an emergency. And uh, that's what we're proposing. We're proposing something actually that we've done before. Uh, we're saying cap the lawsuits to 270 days, like you did for a football stadium at SoFi for the Rams and the Chargers. And you did uh, in Sacramento for a basketball arena for the Kings. Uh, and so uh, we set out to do this work. Uh, it also says uh, alternative, we were proposing alternative delivery methods, uh, progressive design build, construction management, PM, uh, public-private partnerships, something that we don't do a whole lot in this country, but we do all over the world. And finally, streamline permitting. Break down the silos at the state and local levels uh, to be able to uh, you know, fast-track this. The governor's already doing that, and the state is doing that with respect to broadband, and we've cut it from 33 days to six, I mean, 33 months to 16, and the goal is to take it down to 11. And we wanna do that across the board. Why? Because we wanna put people to work in the green jobs. You know, for 25, 30 years, people have argued uh, that we, you know, that if we move to a green economy, uh, we're gonna undermine the good jobs that we have in the fossil fuel economy. Well, guess what? We, we want to create good middle-class jobs. And that's why we have a sense of urgency. We want to green America and the world, uh, well, starting with California, uh, but we want to put people in good middle-class jobs. Equity and inclusion is key here. Uh, we want to mitigate uh, and you know, identify great projects you know, in every community uh, and communities that have been underserved and left behind are gonna be a priority here. So I couldn't be prouder to have worked uh, with uh, California Forward and Micah Weinberg, who, as you know, is their leader. Uh, Boston Consulting was key here. Uh, I was you know, the author, but the, the two of them, uh, the partnership that we um, put together is a big reason why the governor has put all, most of this or all of this in his executive directors. I want to say one last thing. We went from the Oregon border to the Mexican border, met with more than a thousand stakeholders, environmental justice groups, environmental groups, labor groups, business groups, community groups in you know nine different regions from uh, you know throughout the state. And there was almost unanimity around the notion that we could have a rigorous environmental review. Uh, we're proud of CEQA in the sense that. It is the, the toughest environmental review in the country, but we can, uh, we can have that rigorous review and still build our projects faster, smarter, better.
better putting more people to work in good middle-class jobs. Mayor, I don't think anyone would doubt that uh, CEQA has been the toughest law of its kind, but it's also had the toughest defenders of its kind. You know, what are you, what are you anticipating here? Because I, I know there seems to be more, uh, you know, impetus to, to do the kinds of things you're talking about than there has been in the past. But there's also, you know, there's no shortage of folks who are going to defend CEQA as is. You know, you have a sense of, of where we're at with maybe being able to make some of these things become reality. Well, let me just say something about the credentials. Uh, When I was mayor in those eight years, number one American city in reducing carbon emissions, number five in in, in the world. Built more light rail than anybody in the United States of America, moving people from their addiction of single passenger automobile to public transit. Used less water, reduced our water consumption to 1970 levels when we had a million less people. And LA uses less water per capita uh, than uh, other uh, large cities. The fact of the matter is when I was in the 90s, I was the author of the Carl Moore Act, which is the biggest effort to clean up the air since uh, the Clean Air Act. And I can tell you this, many people look at climate change and they want perfect. And what I've said is we can't let the perfect get in the way of the good. Uh, and what we have currently is not perfect. Uh, that regulatory framework, you said it. A lot of people want to change it, not because they don't support you know, rigorous environmental review, but because you can't sue for a decade uh, and, and stop really good projects. Because what's at stake here is uh, the warming of the planet, planet caused by human beings And we believe that it's incumbent on those human beings to have a sense of urgency. So yes, there's gonna be some opposition. You know, when I did the largest uh, windmill farm in the country owned by a a public utility, Pine Tree, all the people that were for it uh, also uh, sued uh, because uh, we were killing some birds. We figured out how to mitigate that. The same was true for big solar in the desert. Uh, the same people that were for it tried to block it. Uh, and I think what people in this state uh, are getting a little tired of these people that speak in grandiose terms, um, but, you know, don't have do the hard work of making something happen, of recognizing that if the, the current framework of red tape is broken, let's work together to streamline it and build these projects and show the red states that uh, California, uh, a blue state, is going to go from blue to green, uh, creating good middle class jobs. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Green Bank financing suggestion that you made to the governor, because it does seem like something he supports. How would something like that work? Well, look, um, at the end of the day, we know that uh, we have an infrastructure bank currently that's not historically been utilized uh, to the extent, you know, leveraged to the extent that we can. And, uh, you know, a green bank, you know, green infrastructure bank can leverage projects, can fill gaps, can uh, attract more money. One of the things that Mike and I in California Forward with the governor's office is gonna do next month is we're going to go to the feds and 
talk again about the TIFIA program, which I used um, for uh, w w when I did uh, America Fast Forward. Uh, and, you know, LA went from number 16th, even though we're the second largest city in the country, went from number 16th in the country in terms of getting transportation dollars to number one. We're going to look at CEQA and NEPA together because as rigorous as CEQA is currently, NEPA is not nearly as extensive, but you have to wait to do CEQA first and then do NEPA. I'm saying let's do it concurrently like we did in LA, like Caltrans has some authority to do on some projects, but we need to do all across the board. Again, let's have a sense of urgency about the green economy, about doing our part to protect the next generation of Californians and Americans uh, who uh, you know, are particularly threatened by uh, climate change. Micah, let me let me bring you in here, uh, and and uh, Mayor Villaraigosa. I really appreciate all of your input here, Micah. I know one of the there there are some concerns here, uh, even among people who really support this kind of stuff. One of them being things like workforce. You know, are there, are there is there enough workforce to even handle this kind of job? The education aspect of all of this. I know you're going to be working with the administration on this going forward. This isn't something that just happens and then you go away. Tell me a little bit about some of those issues that are not specifically mentioned in the governor's proposal. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point, which is people love to talk about CEQA, <laughs> but there are actually dozens of different recommendations here. And a big piece of it is the workforce. We need to be all the way back into high school and before training people for these excellent jobs. There is, in fact, a major skills gap here. And so although there aren't new proposals in the uh, package that the governor just uh, released, there's a bunch of stuff in the broader budget around workforce training, engaging with community colleges, engaging with other uh, types of institutions, because this is an all hands on deck moment, right? The good news is, you know, yeah, we can look at other ways to bring down dollars or to bring in dollars, but money isn't the problem we have right now. We have the money. We just can't spend it without decades, right? It takes decades to create new transit. It, create, it takes decades to create new water systems. That is completely unacceptable within the context of the climate emergency, right? We need to produce just one statistic five times as much renewable energy generation over the course of the next 15 years every year than we have over the course of the past 10 years, right? Something needs to change. We talk about environmental protection. If we don't make these changes, there's not going to be an environment to protect. So let's get real about what we're talking about here. You know, uh, for far too long, you know, the folks in the status quo, you know, have, you know, for economic interests and sort of nimbyism have defended something, but that time is over. Um, we need to keep strong environmental protections, but also make sure that there remains an environment to protect. Well put, Counselor. Uh, thank you, Micah, <laughs> for that. I'll tell you something. Uh, I couldn't have said that better. And you hit it right, you hit the nail right on the head. And this workforce development, uh, you know, effort on our, you know, on all of our part uh, is something really critical. You know, that includes the high schools bringing back, you know, quality industrial arts again, pre-apprenticeship programs, uh, you know, the community colleges are gonna play a key role. Obviously our unions are gonna play a key role. Uh, you know, we expect that, 
the vast majority of these projects are going to be project labor agreements. Uh, you know, and I, I'd like to see a statewide project labor agreement. Uh, but in any case, whatever we do, uh, we need to make sure that our union partners are intimately involved in this. One of the things that the IIJA did was include um, local hire, which is what I did. What does that mean? We identified high poverty, high unemployment, um, you know, uh, census tracts where we identified the new generation of uh, workers that would work and be trained uh, and work on these projects. You know, the governor wants to see Californians on these projects, not people that come from, you know, Florida or some other or Texas, but people that come from our state. Uh, and that means every part of the state, uh, from North Country to uh, the Mexican border. Um, and that, you know, that's going to be workforce training. It's going to be a very important part of this. Have you uh, historically there have been recently issues between, for example, the state building trades construction council and some of the other labor groups. Uh, have you worked specifically with them? I know they're a huge driver of policy, any kind of labor policy in California. Have they bought into this plan? Well, look, I, we've talked to, as I said, our labor partners multiple times, uh, you know, we, there were unions present at our, the press conference. The carpenters were there. The laborers were there. Uh, I believe the I, uh, IBW, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Uh, you know, getting labor on board is critical here. Um, and getting our, you know, uh, progressive environmentalists who understand the sense urgency of now uh, will be on this as well. Hey, Micah, um, the governor called this a once in a generation opportunity. And I think probably for several reasons. I mean, the federal dollars for sure. Uh, the fact that we committed state dollars when we had more state dollars than we do maybe in this year's budget. Um, talk about that a little bit, because um, that indicates a sense of urgency, which I know the mayor has mentioned several times. You know, what about that sense of urgency in, in terms of it being a unique opportunity? Because, you know, these things can often, as we've seen with sequa suits, drag out for a long yeah. period of time. You know, talk a little bit about the urgency of getting something through the legislature this year that can start being put into action as soon as humanly possible. Yeah, I mean, I think first off, let's remember that there are children in the Central Valley today who were drinking out of bottled water because they do not have access to clean drinking water. My question to everybody who thinks that it should take decades to fix our water system is can you please go and talk to those children for me because we disagree we don't think it should decade take decades we think that it should take years but then technically right we're going to be applying for um you know federal discretionary funding we're going to you know have the opportunity to leverage other types of funding we're not going to be competitive for the competitive grants if we can't say that we're going to be able to build this within the next few years if it's going to take the classic california decades where we talk about things and don't get them done right um so i think that's a big part of the urgency i mean i want us to remain grounded in people needing transit people needing clean drinking water people needing renewable energy but then also we're just not going to be able to draw down as much money from the federal government if we can't you know tell the folks you know the powers that be that we're going to be able to actually get this money expended and some of it is use it or lose it money 
right? And we're going to lose some of the money. I know, uh, Mr. Mayor, you had that situation in LA, and suddenly when the money is use it or lose it, people are willing to move forward. Exactly right, Micah. I think you said it uh, uh, really well. Um, we're talking about people waiting for uh, clean drinking water. We're talking about farmers that don't have water uh, to grow our crops that feed us. Uh, we're talking about uh, people who uh, have, you know, wanted a good middle-class job so they could buy a home and they could participate in the American dream. There's so many, there's a backlog of projects that really need to get moving. And some of them have been waiting uh, for not 10 years, but decades. And we got to do something about it. So what's next here? I know the governor uh, has an, an executive order. There's, I know he's working on uh, greater bills and yeah, several bills here. So what's so he's, he's working on trader bills, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, we 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 gave uh, the legislature in January, uh, you know, rough uh, draft of the plan that we put together last week. Uh, took uh, you know a bit to get uh, go through all the channels, but uh, the you know people have had this for a while. Uh, that, you know, many of the legislators that will vote on this were part of the stakeholder groups that we had throughout the state. And so, you know, we're going to have a vigorous debate, but I fully expect uh, that this legislature uh, is, understands the, the fact that uh, we need to get moving uh, yesterday on these projects, and we can uh, with a vigorous environmental review uh, uh, with alternative delivery methods, uh, but also with streamlining of, of permitting and getting to work on the workforce, on getting our union partners to start to train on uh, all of the things that we just mentioned. Well, uh, gentlemen, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I know that this is this is not the end. This is uh, maybe not even the beginning of the end. There's just a lot of, uh, did I say we're at the end of the beginning? The end of the beginning, that's what I meant. Uh, maybe that's what this is. We're at the end of the beginning and now it's time for all the real hard work to get going. So I really appreciate you guys coming on the show today and, and sharing some of these thoughts and, and uh, um, uh, insights with us into what's going on. We're all going to be paying attention, that's for sure. So uh, Thank you so much for the invitation and it's great to be on with all of you. I'm Look forward to coming back on after uh, this is done. Absolutely. Great. Probably be like a couple Thanks. of weeks. No. Yeah, yeah. Just we'll yeah. Just get a couple of weeks, a couple of days. We'll be, all, we'll be all through this. This will be an easy one, I'm sure. Just a rubber stamp voting all the way through. Absolutely. No problem. I, I actually right now don't think it's going to be as difficult as some do. Um, I, I think you said it. I think there's a lot of frustration with what we we're just saying, you know, in its essence, limiting the lawsuits. There's some other technical changes, but not very, you know, uh, j just that alone, you know, saves money and time. Um, and the alternative delivery methods, you know, uh, Pete Wilson used design build uh, to rebuild the Santa Monica freeway portion uh, from La Cienega to 405 in uh, two months and five days, not 20 years like, or 10 years, like would, would have been normal. So 
Appreciate it. I got to get moving, get on the plane, but we'll talk. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Mayor. And I think uh, the mayor actually hit it really on the head when he said, you know, we're using these CEQA exemptions for things like sports stadiums. Uh, and I think people get pissed off when they see us using a CEQA exemption to build the King's Arena. But then when it's time to build a water storage facility or a bike path or, uh, you know, some solar solar project that is actually going to benefit everyone, uh, then it's we're not using it. And I think people are that has changed their appetite for secret. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And like a lot of people, we went around the state and people said, you know, I explained that to them and people were like, no, that, that's not the law. No state would be so stupid as to have environmental exceptions for sports stadium, but not for climate adaptive infrastructure. And I'm like, OK, well, well, we, that is our law, right? Let's be honest. I think I think every state probably would be that stupid. Frankly, I don't know if they have a law, but you know, people do like building sports. Look, people do like building sports stadiums, but you know, it is more difficult in in this state to to produce the our climate adaptive infrastructure, and it's especially important for lower income communities. I mean, you look at the people that are the most subject to extreme heat events. You look at the people that are the most subject to sea level rise. I live in Oakland. And, you know, the Oakland Flats, you know, just flooded out recently, right? You know, again, the question is, how long is it going to be before we get that seawall, right? How many more times is your neighborhood going to flood because of sea level rise, right? And unfortunately, right now, the answer is decades, and it just can't be. Well, you know, you touched on something, though, and I wish we maybe had talked about it a little bit more, but, you know, it's public perception and public will is a big part of this as well. I mean, think bills can go through the legislature. They can get vigorously debated there. The governor can take positions. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, so many of these things do require uh, a level of adaptive mentality from the community. And the community has to demand it and understand um, that it does benefit everybody. And it's I don't know why it seems so easy for them to understand that when it comes to a sports stadium. <laughs> I think that says a lot about where we're at as a as a society in America in 2023. Um, but at some point, I mean, that's going to be a big part of this hurdle, I think, as well as getting the public on board to understand the, the urgency behind getting some of these projects built and the role that that NIMBYism and other things like it have played in keeping them from getting built a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I don't know. Um, I really hope that we you know, are able to, because these are actually a series of relatively modest reforms. I know the stakeholders are going to treat them as if, I mean, just like they treated some of these like good, helpful pieces that Senator Weiner and Buffy Wicks put forward around housing. Those were not the totally game-changing, totally California-changing, you know, sort of pieces of legislation that, that, you know, NIMBY suggested they were. They were helpful, positive changes at the margins. This package from the governor is a set of helpful, positive changes at the margins. It's not the end of what it is that we would need to do in this uh, in this particular area. And I do think largely the public is there. In fact, for that matter, largely the public is there on housing. But the public is different than the people who show up claiming to represent the public. People who care about the environment are different than people who show up claiming to represent the environment. Well, and I think you... You know, one of the things you're alluding to is that basically that's the nature of democracy is nothing happens until it's an emergency. Right. I mean, people don't want to spend money. They don't want to spend their mental energy. Just as a general thing, I think people don't really like change. 
you know, good change or bad change. They're just very skeptical of it. But then when something is really terrible, you know, uh, the mayor alluded to rebuilding the freeway. Well, I remember when there was a freeway collapse and they they actually got it this 15 years ago and they brought people in and they rebuilt this freeway. I don't know where to get this thing, this freeway back up in a couple of months. And they did. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's not the lack of technology to actually build things. It's the lack of money, energy, willing to push through and, you know, play devil's advocate. I do understand that you don't want to plow through people's neighborhoods. You don't want to upend their lives. Oh yeah. You know, suddenly do all these things people are not ready for, but we do need to, you know, this is me speaking as a person who believes in climate change, you know, uh, sorry, John Fleischman, I, I'm, I believe in climate change, you know, but uh, we do have to treat this with some urgency. And I, I think that this approach by the governor and assumably by the legislature, who I think will, will go along with this uh, has some potential because I think, I think people are starting to look around at the weather changes. Certainly anyone that saw a thousand trees go down in Sacramento in January says this is not normal, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think people are starting to have an awareness of that and, and be more ready to, to make changes in a way that maybe they're not normally. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you, you make an excellent point. We don't want to bulldoze lower income neighborhoods and, and all that. And the people in those lower income neighborhoods desperately need the infrastructure more than anybody else does. And the infrastructure needs to go somewhere. And it's sort of interesting um, you know, we talk about the like Justice 40 initiative, right? And that's a big thing around infrastructure that we want to spend at least 40% of the money here in these low income disinvested communities, right? But that also means building things in or near low income disinvested communities. So it's just, it's, it's a, it's a complicated and important set of conversations. And we definitely need a new way of doing things. Unfortunately, right now we have no way of doing things, which is not actually acceptable, you know, again, primarily for our, you know, our state's disinvested communities. Um, and, you know, the question is, are people fed up with this? You know, are the governor and Antonio and everybody else who's pushing that really going to be able to ride a wave of public will on this? Or is this going to, you know, kind of founder on the shoals of the, you know, stakeholder politics in Sacramento once again? And meanwhile, you know, like this not normal, as you put it, like climate change situation is, you know, continuing to spiral and we need to be able to respond to it. Um, so, yeah, uh, fingers crossed. Right. I mean, not just fingers crossed. We're working on this like all day, every day. But I really do hope. Well, Micah, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. This has been really informative. And, uh, you know, we're all going to be paying a lot of attention. So, uh, you know, you never know. You might hear from us again saying, hey, Micah, let's let's just discuss what happened. OK. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you, Micah. Take care. All right. Well, uh, now it is time for one of our favorite segments every week. Uh, I would say argue our favorite segment, actually. Who had the worst week in California politics? The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Uh, as always, there's probably a couple of options that we could go with. I mean, certainly, I would say the uh, Open City Council and certainly Mayor Sheng Tao is, is not having a good week, given how things have gone with uh, the vote in the Nevada legislature on uh, handing over almost $400 million in uh, public money to uh, the ownership of the Open A's. I'll say it but, again. We're in the wrong business, Rich. We're no the, kidding. Nobody's given us $400 million bucks. 
No kidding. Well, and you know, the interesting thing for them is it, the context behind all that is they just received approval for yet another grant. So this big project that, you know, to reform Howard Terminal, that would include building the A's a new ballpark that the A's walked away from very abruptly, a couple of days before they were supposed to have, you know, the final meeting on all this, uh, they've now raised more money than what Nevada is promising them. And if it all goes through, uh, the A's owner, John Fisher, uh, the trust fund baby of the Gap Fortune, uh, is not going to own the stadium. He's not going to own the land. I mean, it's a it's a crazy deal. I can see why you know the mayor went went on an, an offensive. Uh, Oakland's mayor Shengtao went on an offensive afterward, uh, defending the city's honor, so to speak. And you can certainly understand that. Uh, and that might have been our worst week in in a normal situation, but. Uh, it's not a normal situation, is it, Tim? No. Well, maybe you could argue it is a normal situation because corruption in the Los Angeles City Council <laughs> seems to have become normalized. And Kern Price is the latest face of corruption in the LA City Council. Uh, and he was charged this week with 10 counts, I believe. 10 counts of embezzlement, perjury, and conflict of interest. I, I think the I don't remember the exact breakdown of that, but uh, it totaled up to 10 charges, uh, which is pretty significant. Yeah. And frankly, none of this is a surprise because the LA Times has been writing about this for years. And, you know, nothing really came of it until this week when suddenly suddenly the shoe dropped. Well, and, and yes, exactly. Because Price has been on the council for 10 years. He's a very well-known uh, figure around Los Angeles. Uh, he's accused of uh, as the LA Times has uh, done a great job of reporting, uh, of having a financial interest in uh, numerous development projects that he was then voting on. Uh, gee, no conflict there, right? Uh, receiving lots and lots of money uh, in terms of medical benefits uh, from the city for his wife, which of course happened while he was still married to another person. Um, you know, those are those are all things that make... Uh, make headlines for sure. But the bottom line is, I hit, here is the breakdown. It was five counts of grand theft by embezzlement, three counts of perjury, and two counts of conflict of interest. And so um, his defense attorneys are going to be quite busy for a while. Yeah, well, and you know, we have to point out he's innocent until proven guilty. So maybe this is all smoke, no fire. We'll see. But uh doesn't look good. Doesn't look good for the city council. You know, I'm sure Erica Smith down at the Los Angeles Times is throwing her hands up again. You know, uh, she's like, I have to write this column again uh, about a corrupt city council person. So, um, you know, maybe sadly, maybe it is normal. You know, we were talking before before we taped, like, is the L.A. City Council the most corrupt city government in, in the United States? It's it's in the runner. It's in the running in any case. You know, there's always, you know, Personally, I suspect it's probably somewhere in Rhode Island, but that's just that's just me being biased. Well, yeah, I think I think uh, sadly enough, I think there's a lot of uh, local governments that could be in this conversation. But yeah, L.A. would definitely have to be one of them. And, you know, you mentioned Erica. She might be having the worst week in uh, California politics, because, as you noted, she's going to have to write this column again. Yeah, I, I you know who you feel sorry for are the are the city. Uh, you know, the residents of the city, because, you know, you, you want to have faith that your government has your best interests at heart and, and you want to have faith that they're trying to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, uh, always 
playing above board. And, you know, to your point, these are alleged, you know, infractions. We'll see what happens. But with everything that has happened with the LA City Council, you know, it's just one more dagger in the faith that the public can have in that governing body. And that's not good for anybody. So I'd say yeah. uh, they might be the co-equal branch of bad week, you know, worst week in California politics. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah, well, we'll see what next week brings. But whoever it is next week, I expect we'll be having a better week than current price had this week. That's just my guess. Yeah, they keep raising the bar. So, boy, if you top this one, I don't know what to tell you, man. All right, Rich. Well, thanks. And we'll uh, next week, we'll look at who had an even worse week, maybe. Let's hope it's not somebody worse than this. But yes, if, if, there, if, if there is somebody that's had a worse week, we're going to find them. Okay, Rich. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Tim. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.